So we are not in a series this week, uh, or this month actually. Uh, Pastor Terry and I are are sort of uh, going back and forth on uh, just standalone sermons, however God is speaking to us. And I'm really kind of uh, just preaching from where I'm at in in reading through the Bible. And uh, next week Terry's going to preach, and then I'm going to preach after that in two weeks. And then after that, we start a new series called Living on a Prayer. And uh, and it's not about Bon Jovi. <laughs> it's um, it's about prayer. And so uh, this uh, this series is, is gonna, something that I'm super excited about. And um, and it's something that we're going to incorporate in all facets of what we do as a church and sort of uh, rejuvenate uh, the um, the discipline of prayer in our church. So that's going to be happening uh, in the fall as we get get, get uh, back going with school. But today, what I'd like to do is I would like to um, preach about the calling of Elisha, the calling of Elisha. Now, when I spoke two weeks ago, uh, I used a story about Elijah, and um, and it was it's in First Kings, which we're going to be out today. And Elijah was a prophet. Elijah didn't have his own book. Elisha didn't have his own book either. But Elijah was a, a very powerful prophet uh, that God had called and to do incredible miraculous things. In fact, when I preached two weeks ago, I talked about um, how he faced the, uh, the prophets of Baal, uh, a false god, 450 prophets of Baal, and then another 400 prophets of Asherah, so 850 prophets total. And, um, and the king at the time, the king of Israel, the northern part of the kingdom, uh, there and um, and his wife Jezebel uh, was they were evil they did all kinds of evil things in fact Jezebel would host these false prophets and in their in their palace and so um, Jezebel and the king were, were just doing horrible things and and God called Elijah to have a showdown with uh, the prophets of Baal. And as you, as you probably are familiar with the story I preached a couple weeks ago, is that they set up an altar and the prophets of Baal uh, try to call their, their false prophet, uh, their, their God down to light the fire and it didn't happen. After hours and hours of doing that, finally um, uh, Elijah said, all right, pour water on it, pour more water on it, more water. And he said a simple prayer. And, and the, the fire from heaven came down and just... Uh, lit up the altar, and then uh, the Israelites um, proclaimed, God is Lord, God is King, because it's been a while since they've seen the power of God move in their life, in their country, in, in, their, um, in their midst, and so they were rejuvenated by that, revival broke out, and they killed all the prophets, the false prophets right then and there. Okay, and so not saying that we should go, you know, go Old Testament on people, uh, but that was that's how that was handled. And so Elijah then fled for his life because Jezebel was really, really mad. And so she went looking for uh, uh, Elijah, and um, and he he fled. And then uh, he was uh, kind of in a secure place, and he was really tired, and really he wanted to just end it all. I mean, he was at a very depressed place. He was tired. He was like, why, why is it just me? I feel like I'm the only one. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe in your family, in your job, in your school. It's like, man, I'm the only one. I'm the only one trying to live like Jesus. And that's how Elijah felt. But God even told him, hey, there, there, have, there are many people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
But here's what I want you to do. It's time for you to uh, choose your successor. The, the, the God that's going to take your place. And so that's where we pick up. And so we're going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verse 19 through 21. And if you have your printed copy or digital copy, so just a few passages of Scripture. And, and, and this, this sermon today, it, it's, poten- I mean, not just potentially simple, but it is strategically simple today. Just a few verses and a f- three points that we can gather from this and something that I feel like we can incorporate and apply to our life. So here we are in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah, that's our dude, went from there, from the place in hiding, and found Elisha, son, son of Shabbat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So Elisha must have been a pretty, pretty big dude, right? He's probably an offensive lineman. He could probably play, you know, play, um, you know, for a major SEC, you know, football team. Maybe Georgia, Alabama, or <clears throat> Go Tigers, LSU. Or he could do those kinds. But he was, he was built like an ox, evidently. And so he had 11 ox they're plowing the field, and he was the, he was the 12th one. And so, um, Elisha, uh, so Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So, threw his outer garment around him, okay? So, maybe this outer garment was something, maybe that had like a hood on it, you know, kind of sort of a, a, a Jedi, sort of, I mean, if they had Jedis back there, you know, godly Jedis, Elijah was definitely one of them, right? I mean, especially when fire from heaven can fall down on this altar. So, I would imagine this cloak with the hood, and, and he takes this cloak, and he puts it on him, and puts it on his hood while he is plowing. And Elisha knows who Elijah is. Everyone knows who Elijah is. And everyone has heard of the stories. In fact, there's a very, very good chance that Elisha was there at the altar when all of that went down. And who knows, he might have even killed a few prophets of Baal himself. And so, Elisha then so after he put his cloak on him, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So Elijah put his cloak on him and sort of walked away. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. So he killed the ox, slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And Elisha went on, and I I love this story between Elijah and Elisha. Elisha went on, the Bible says, to, to basically receive a double portion of of Elisha's uh, miracles that he did through the power of God. And in fact, Elijah said, if you see me get taken up to heaven, and he did, through a whirlwind, through chariots of fire, and when he, when, if you see me get taken up, then you will receive a double portion. And, and he did, if you follow scripture on that. 
He did twice the number of incredible miracles that Elijah did. Not by his own strength, but by the power of God. The blessing of God. So, today I want to bring this home to us. Elisha was just doing his thing. He was just doing his thing. He was plowing the field. He didn't feel like you're just kind of going through life mundane, driving the same place of work, driving back, you know, and having to do the same thing and working with the same people. Kids, maybe you're in school and, you know, you have, you know, same classes. I mean, I know you're about to start something new with the school year coming up soon. Sorry for the reminder. But, but have you ever felt that way, just kind of doing your thing? Um, it could even be sometimes that your Christian walk could get a little boring. Kind of like just plowing rows of field. Now, I, I'm not a farmer. I've never plowed with, with, with a tractor, not much less an ox. But I can imagine that's a pretty boring job. Just rows and rows and rows. And so sometimes our Christian life can be that way. It can. In fact, you could come to church on Sunday and it could just be, oh, it's boring. It's the same thing. Same thing. We sang that song two weeks ago. I'm sitting in the same spot. Okay? I'm, uh, you know, it, it, it's the same order of service. We're not changing it up much. Or same people. And, and, and you could look at it like that. Yeah? Or in, in, your, in your own walk of faith. I'm just kind of going through this, praying sort of the same prayers and not really getting any answers and, and just you're reading this Bible like I should. And, man, it's just like you're, you're just plowing rows. You're plowing rows. Can I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I felt that. <laughs> I've been there. I have. And it's so easy to get in the rut. It's so easy just to get in the rut of just doing your thing. Where's the excitement? Where's the interruption? Where's the, the calling to do, to go deeper into what God wants you to do? Can I tell you something? It's there. It is most definitely there. God does call us to something greater, something deeper, and something real. God is calling each of us to a deeper understanding of his nature, his love, his purpose for our lives. Now, what does that look like? How does this calling look on your life? And what do we need to do? So there's an invitation to get out of the rut. There is. So, what do we learn from this passage? Three things. Number one, pay attention. Just, you want to pay attention. Pay attention for the 
for the uninterrupted, I mean, for the, uh, for the uh, unexpected interruptions in your life. Pay attention. Elisha wasn't expecting it. Elisha was not doing anything significant when he was plowing the fields. There's some in, in, in church, in a Christian life, like I just said, just, we're just kind of doing our thing. Who don't even realize that God is conspiring ways to call you deeper and to do greater things. God was talking with Elijah about Elisha without Elisha not even knowing about it. Do you know this? That God God has things for you to do. God wants your, your life to be used for his glory, for his purpose. And he's, he has those things. And who knows, he could be having those heavenly conversations. Maybe God is having it with the Holy Spirit or with Jesus or with some, some other angels or, or whatever. We don't know. But just know this, God has something for you besides the just daily grind and the rut. Now, plowing the fields is important. You got it. You got to do that. Opening God's word is important. Praying is important. Going to church is important. But this day was different. This day was different. And we must pay attention to how God is speaking to us. Do you know that there are people in your life that God has put you, that God has put around you to help you to fulfill your purpose that God has for your life. He has. We just got to pay attention. The only problem is we're not paying attention. I hate to think of all the things that I've missed when I get to heaven. When I get to heaven, and, I, and, and it's, it's made known to me all of the conversations, all of the people that, that I have missed because I was distracted. I was distracted. We can fulfill our purpose if we just pay attention. If we just pay attention. Because Elisha could have done this. When Elijah put his cloak on him, he could have stopped. Whoa, hold on a second. You're giving this to me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the next, I'm going to be the next Elijah? Okay, well, let me, uh, let me think about that. And just keep on plowing the rows. How many times has God put people in our life and we just keep going? Just keep going. When God is telling us, no, 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 no. I need you to have a conversation with this person. Or I need you to build this relationship with this, with this person. Or I, I need your, your marriage to go to a deeper level in your life. In fact, I put, I put other couples in your life, you and your spouse's life, that can help show you that, and you haven't realized it. But they can help you with that. 
They're there as an example. I want you to get your finances in order. In fact, I've put people in your life that can help you with your finances. You're just not paying attention. I can help people with your walk to go deeper to a much greater level. But you're just not paying attention. You're just going through the motions. Y'all been there. So we've got to pay attention to what is going on around us. So number one, pay attention. The second thing is this. We got to tell others. We got to tell others what God is stirring in our hearts to do. If you notice in that, in that passage, the first thing Elijah did after acknowledging that there's an interruption in his life is he told his family and friends. He kissed his mom and dad goodbye, and then he threw a party. He did. He invited people over, threw a party. This is an important step because it made Elisha accountable. It made Elisha accountable. Imagine if he would have said, I'm going on a trip. By the way, mom and dad, I'm going to go on a trip to check something out. Okay? I'll be back in a few weeks or a couple of months. Okay? And he just goes, he doesn't really tell him. He goes and he meets up with Elijah and he kind of checks it out and he's like, okay, well, I, I think maybe I can do this. I think so. And then I'll just come back and tell them later. No. Elisha recognized the interruption because he was paying attention and the calling the guy was putting on his life and then he told, immediately told his family and then his friends to hold himself accountable. Hey, mom and dad, I, uh, <laughs> Elijah just gave me this cloak and he put it on me and it's a sign that I'm supposed to follow him and be his disciple. And so I need to go and I need you to, I need you to pray for me or whatever that conversation happened. But the most important thing is he told them, when you make the decision to do something based upon the interruption that God has put in your life, then you need to tell somebody. You know, the first thing that I tell people who accepted Christ as Savior, when they accept Jesus Christ as Savior, the first thing I get them to do after they said the prayer of salvation, I tell them this, you need to tell somebody. You need to call somebody now, or when you get home, you need to talk to somebody. You need to say, I accepted Jesus. Because it makes him accountable. I accepted Jesus. Not like, well, I'm going to try this Christian thing a little bit and just kind of see if it works out for me and see if I'm going to be, you know, the, the, uh, live a sinless life and, and all this thing and things are going to be rosy for me because they'll soon find out that's not the case. But I'm just going to check it out. And then if it's good, then I'll, I'll, I'll let people know. No, that's not how it works. You got to let people know. You must let people know. When we, um, several years ago, about 11 years ago, when we decided to make the trip to Ukraine to adopt, we told people. I mean, we were gone for six weeks. We had to tell people. 
But we could have said, hey, there's an, you know, there's an emergency or just we need to get away, you know, that kind of thing. We're just going to be away for a little bit and, and not really communicate and just see if it works out. If it doesn't really work out, we'll come back and say everything's fine. We could have done that, but we didn't. Why? We told people because we needed their prayers. Hey, we're going to Ukraine to adopt a child or children or whatever. We don't even know. And so we need, we need your prayers. We, you, just, you tell people. When, when you decide to get married, when you ask when you ask someone to marry you, gentlemen, when you ask your, your, your now wife to, to marry you, and she says yes, or I guess so, or whatever the answer may be, when she says that, then you tell somebody. Now, she's going to tell people, most definitely. She's going to tell people. She's going to have that ring on Instagram and the picture, you know, in portrait mode and all this kind of stuff. She's going to do all this kind of stuff. But you're going to tell them as well. Imagine if you, if you um, asked her to marry you and you didn't tell anybody. And then you show up and it's like, okay, well, we got married. Now, there are some people who do that. They just elope and, hey, surprise, we're married. Okay. And if you did that, that's great. But usually you tell people. Okay. Because it holds you accountable. Y'all, when God wants you to do something in your life, you got to tell people. You need marriage help? And, and let, me, let me tell you something real quick about this. Every marriage needs help. Every marriage needs help. Don't sit here and think you might be the only couple who has marriage issues. If you're watching or listening online, don't think you, if you're married, that you are the only couple that has marriage issues. Don't think that the pastor up here, that I don't have any marriage issues. The big marriage issues, the issues that I have is sometimes I don't do what my wife says. And we all know that's not good. No, I mean, there are some other things. But we, all of us, can improve our marriage. And in fact, I personally think that every marriage really needs some counseling. And so, when you decide as a couple, we're going to go into counseling, you know what you do? You tell people. You tell people. You do. You at least tell your pastor. You know why? Because I can help you. Other people can help you. We can pray for you. Because there's nothing wrong with that. You have financial issues. And you decide, well, we need to get a, a second job or whatever. You, you tell people. You let them know what's going on. You may think, well, I don't want people knowing all my business. You don't have to let people know. You don't have to put it on social media. But it's important for you to tell someone. If you feel like God's calling you to do something, to lead a small group. And I'm, I'm letting you know, in the fall, we need small group leaders. Pastor Terry and I, our discipleship pastor, have been talking through this. We need people just to be small group facilitators. We, we have all the supplies you need. We have everything you need. We just need people to facilitate the small group. Just, you don't need to be a Bible scholar. I'm not a Bible scholar, and I'm up here preaching. 
You just need to facilitate. Maybe God's calling you to facilitate a Bible study. Maybe God's calling you to work with kids or to work with, with uh, students or to work with young adults. Whatever the case may be, you know what you got to do? You got to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody. So, Elisha, he, was, he, he paid attention. He was, he was working. He was doing his steady thing. But he acknowledged, he was paying attention, and he acknowledged God's call on his life. You need, to, you need to pay attention and acknowledge God's calling your life, and then you need to tell someone. And the last thing is this. Here's the last point. The most important thing Elisha did, the most important thing that Elisha did was to burn the plow. He burnt the plow. He not only burned the plow, he killed all the ox. Which, that confuses me a little bit because that could have been useful for maybe his dad or his brothers or something. But he, maybe he owned, personally owned the ox, oxen. But he had them slaughtered, all 11 of them. And he burnt the plow, cut it up, set it on fire, used that to, to cook the meat, served it to his family and friends. When Elisha went to tell his family goodbye, he wasn't having second thoughts. He wasn't having second thoughts. He knew what this was all about. He knew that when he followed Elijah, that he was kissing his old life behind, kissing it goodbye. This is the same when you follow Jesus. When you become a Christian, we make the decision to follow Christ and kiss this world goodbye. Let me ask you a question today. Have you burnt the plows? Do you still have something to go back to? That's the reason why Elisha burnt the plows and killed the ox. He couldn't go back to it. He couldn't go back to it. Have you burnt the plows? Do you still have those friends, those magazines, those same websites, those same financial securities to go back to? Then you may want to question your level of surrender to Christ. This takes the most discipline to get rid of those things that you could go back to. It's time to destroy those distractions that keep you from becoming the person God designed you to be and fulfilling your purpose that he has for you. You probably know what some of those plows are. You probably know what those are. Maybe they're Certain relationships that are causing areas in your life to wither and die. Maybe removing some of those commitments that keep you so busy and crazy that you don't have time to, to be effective for God. Or maybe it's to remove those hours of, of social media that keep you disengaged from your family and your faith. I'm think, I, I've got a couple of plows right now that I need to burn that I can easily go back to. 
Now, they're not, they're not like sinful plots, but, but it's stuff that's just keeping me from going deeper what God has for me. I believe we all have a plow that we need to burn. We do. If you're ready to go deeper into what God has for you, you've got to search your heart. What is that one thing, or maybe it's more, that's keeping you from fulfilling your purpose and your calling for what God has for you to do? And not, any, and not in any, uh, anything just individually. It could be something for your family. What is something that is keeping your family from going deeper into following God's purpose for your life? What is it? I mean, one, one thing is, for some people, it could be that family's not coming to church. That's why, in, in our Bennett, Bennett household, there was never an option. Like me growing up, my brother and I, my mom drug us to church. She, she helped us out by getting a dozen donuts every Sunday. But hey, we do what we got to do, right? You know, donuts and Jesus. I believe there's going to be Christmas cream in heaven. I'm okay with that. But, gee, but, but when, when, you, when you as a family are coming together and growing together, that's something to help fulfill your purpose as a family. It doesn't mean you're going to be a perfect family. You're still going to have junk. There's lots of junk in our family. But not going to church, having excuses of not coming to church, that is a plow that needs to be burnt. That is a plow that needs to be burnt. You could do this. Is that great? If you're not coming to church, I'm turning off the electricity. In the house. Anybody wants to stay here, they can just get, you can burn up, you can't do anything, everything's done. And then lock the, lock the circuit breaker. That's a, actually a really good idea. Think, think about that. Just turn off the electricity. You know, come to church, fine. What are you going to do now? Whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to fulfill what God's calling your family to do. Do whatever it takes for God to, to do what God wants to do in your marriage. Whatever it takes. And a lot of times that is just swallowing our pride. Because in marriages, it's like you have this and this and all these pride and all this, you're, you're, you're huffing and you're puffing and all this stuff. And then it's like you have these two things, these mountains that are standing in the way and fighting each other. And the thing that's going to bring that down is a huge dose of, of humility. So, what are the plows in your life? What is keeping you? What do you need to destroy to get rid of? Because you keep going back to it. In the year 1519, the Spanish explorer and conquistador, Hernando Cortez, decided that he wanted to seize the treasure that the Aztec Indians had been hoarding for years. 
Cortez took 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, 16 horses, and landed his 11 ships. It's interesting, 11 ships, Elisha had 11 ox. His 11 ships on the shores of the Yucatan, which is now known as Mexico, despite the large army under his command, he was still vastly outnumbered by a huge and powerful empire of Aztecs that had been around for 600 years. Cortez wanted to make sure that his men were completely committed to his mission and quest for riches, even though they were vastly outnumbered. How did Cortez do this? Well, he took time to to lay out the vision. He did not immediately begin attacking the Aztec Indians. He described how their lives would be different and changed forever by the amount of gold and silver they could take for themselves. He described the possibilities that could exist with all of this treasure. But there was one thing standing in their way. One thing. It wasn't the army of the Aztec Empire. You know what it was? It was actually 11 things. It was a ship's. The ships were standing in their way. Say, so, well, that didn't make sense. They came in on the ships. There's no way the ships could be standing in the way from the army. Yes, it was. Because guess what? They can go back to the ships and sail where they came from. So, what did Cortez do? Cortez gave the order to burn the boats. The path forward was clear for Cortez. All or nothing, 100% commitment. The option of failure was gone. Conquer as heroes or die. The ships were burnt, they were sunk. By doing this, the level of commitment of the men was raised to an extreme level, much higher than anyone could have imagined. And just imagine this. While they're on the shore watching these ships go down, it's like, all right, well, we can't go that way. (laughs) We can't go back to to our old ways. There's no escape. And it just brought energy to them and extreme focus. Incredibly, they succeeded in this unlikely feat. In 600 years, no one had been able to conquer the Aztecs and plunder their riches. They were able to do it simply because There was no choice, no fallback. The ships were gone. The only alternative was death. What do you have to burn? There's a battle you're facing in your life, your personal life, your marriage, your finances, relationships. It's a battle. But there's no way that you're going to face that. And Elisha faced battles. You read his story. He will face battles. But there's no way you're going to go all in on this battle in the areas that you need unless you burn the plow or in Cortez's case, burn the boats. 
You got to do it. So maybe you're sitting here today and, and during this message, you were thinking, well, <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some plows I need to burn. Maybe you need to talk with your spouse. Maybe y'all need to come up with some plows, some things that are standing in the way. Or maybe with your family. Or you know there's something God's calling you to do. God just keeps telling you, reminding you, do this. Trust in me. And you haven't done it yet. And you need to burn the plows. Whatever that is, it's time to do it and follow God. Would you bow your head with me? If you're sitting here today and you're thinking of some plows that you've got to burn or some boats that you've got to burn in your life, I, I just want to encourage you to identify those and just tell God the Father right now, I'm, I'm so sorry for these getting in the way. Please forgive me. And then make a commitment. Do something bold. Do something brave. I will make this decision. Because guess what? God's not going to burn these for you. He's not going to burn the plows. Fire didn't come from heaven to burn the plows. Fire didn't come from heaven to burn the boats. They did that themselves. It's something you need to do. Make that commitment right now. Father God, we will do this. It's about time to burn the plows, to burn the boats. I commit this to you. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, and maybe you're watching or listening online, you've never accepted Christ, and one of the plows is standing in the way is pride. You're just too prideful. Maybe you got, maybe there's some, you like your lifestyle, but you know you need to surrender to Jesus to be in heaven with him one day and some of your loved ones. But there's some things in your life you'd like to try to keep. It's time to let those go. Burn the plow. Burn the boats. Make that commitment now. And say a prayer like this. I, I make this decision to get rid of my old life and to follow you, Jesus. Please forgive me. Please be Lord of my life. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Jesus' name, amen and amen.